The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? It's From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our PC. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves, welcome to the Boston Podcast. It's the show where we tell the stories of your city through the voices of your city. I want to thank our sponsor, the all-inclusive podcast featuring Jay Ruderman. You find that wherever you find your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. All-inclusive with Jay Ruderman, just some great storytelling in that pod, and we thank them for the support of, of this show. We have a great story today, and I've got an author on the line Imagine if you had an idea for a novel about a global pandemic, and then as you were sort of working on that novel, a global pandemic actually broke out. So the author is on the line with me. His name is Aaron Speckler, and I am delighted to have him here in the virtual studio. Aaron? Sorry, Spelker, I want to say. Second second time's a charm. Is that right? Yeah, I, yeah that's right. You got I, it. Okay, sorry. Thank you for being here, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm doing great. So there's a lot to get to here. So I want to hear about the book. And by the way, I'll I'll say it right off the top: the bubonic reorder. So That's correct. And uh, you can find it on Amazon or wherever you find your books. I take it right. Amazon, Barnes and Noble are the the two primary places. Yeah. Okay. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, the bubonic reorder. Now, as as uh, I read about this story and about your story, it's almost like I don't know where to start. But let's start. It, it is your first novel. You came up with the idea in 2014. You only got around to writing it in 2019 after you lost your sight. Uh, that, that obviously must have been a huge personal personal battle for you. And, of course, you took the opportunity to write a novel, so good on you. But if you don't mind me asking, how, how did that occur? Was this something you saw coming, or how, how did that happen? The loss of the sight? Yes. No, it was a little bit more sudden. I was actually in Cancun on my 20-year wedding anniversary with my wife. And we, one of the first days we went down to the beach, you know, check out the ocean and the sand. And a big gust of wind blew sand all up into my face. And I got all the sand in my eyes and, you know, kind of spent the rest of the vacation with my eyes really like tearing and, and being bothersome, you know, because I just figured, you know, I got some sand in my eyes. Mm. But when I got back to Massachusetts, which is where I'm from, it, it was a massive infection that had ended up in my eyes. There was some, you know, real virulent bacteria that was in the sand. And I ended up in the Tufts Medical Hospital in, in Boston for three and a half weeks in the intensive care unit. Oh my while God. they tried to try to fight the bacteria and you know save the eyes, which they were able to do. But when I came out, my vision was just really decimated. I, I, right now, I really just see uh, light and shadow, but I really don't have any definition of anything. So I can kind of tell where a window is in a room, but you know that's pretty much it. Wow, my goodness! So so, and is is there any hope that that can improve, or probably not? No, it's not not looking good. So wow, this is this is pretty much what it's going to be. Wow, well, I have to say your attitude is remarkable given <laughs> g- given what what's happened. I mean that that is just uh, and and it it I guess course, if you had talked to me the weeks directly following, I wouldn't have had such a great attitude. Of of course, right? But I guess it, it's a lesson that uh, you know the little moment like that can just 
turn your life into something very different, but, but yeah. you, you certainly turned it into something positive. So I guess before we get to the book, you ha- it sounded like, it seems like in, in quick order, you learned how to function as a, as a blind person. And, and I mean, like, how did you write, yeah. how'd you write the thing? I mean, did you, did you dictate or what was that? So, you know, I can type without looking, just, you know, had that skill set before, before I went blind and I have screen reader software that's on my computer. So it'll kind of, you know, as you type, it'll tell you what letters you're typing and you know, it'll read it back to you after you, after you've written a sentence or a paragraph. And that's actually, you know, it, it's interesting. That is really the catalyst of kind of my attitude change about my situation. So, you know, as I said, you know, the weeks following this happening as expected, you know, I kind of fell into a pretty deep depression mm. about, you know, what just occurred and was really kind of mourning all those things that, you know, I'll no longer see and no longer do and no longer accomplish. And a couple months after losing my sight, I had a technician from the Mass Commission for the Blind. So that's a Massachusetts Commission uh, for the Blind. Mm-hmm come to my house and load screen reading software on, onto my computer so that I'd be able to mm. u- utilize my computer. And this gentleman who came to my house, you know, he got on the computer and he was on the internet and he was downloading software and installing software and changing settings on my computer and you know, ch- creating new profiles and doing all this, you know, crazy computer stuff and come to find out that he was completely blind. Mm, wow. So it, it was like this epiphany for me, you know, I, I, I looked at this guy and I said, you know, look, he has a career, He's, you know, an expert at what he does. He's better at a computer than I ever was as a sighted person. Mm-hmm. And so why am I concentrating on all the things I can't do? Why don't I start trying to figure out what I can do? Right. And so that's, you know, pretty much the next day with that screen reader software on my computer, I, I picked up the notes that I had been, you know, uh, formulating over the couple of years prior about this book. Because as you said, I, I first came up with it in 2014. And I sat down with the screen reader and I started having it read to me the notes that I had and I started, you know, pecking away and you know, doing some more outlines and you know, doing some more research. And I kind of spent the next, you know, seven, eight months, you know, three to four hours a day, you know, working on the book. And it was, you know, one, a great distraction from, you know, the, the spiral of where your mind can go if you're left idle. Yeah. So I kept my, kept my brain occupied. And then, you know, with each, you know, sentence I wrote, each, you know, paragraph I, I finished each you know chapter that got completed it was like I was accomplishing something I was mm. doing something that gave you know me purpose and you know was something that I did here now blind that I never really got to when I was a sighted person and it just helped me kind of you know reframe you know, my blindness you know that I could overcome the challenges and, and be productive and accomplish things so you know it was you know really kind of this, writing this book was kind of my own personal savior and that it, it you know, allowed me to work through a lot of stuff and, you know, have kind of a different attitude that you see today. Mm. Uh, that, that was not the attitude the first, you know, few weeks, couple months, directly following the event. When you, well, let me ask you this. I'll, first of all, I'll read a bit of your bio, which is, I like dark humor and you've got a little bit of dark humor, I think, in your bio because yeah. you, it says Aaron is an author, commentator, financial advisor, entrepreneur, teacher, father, husband, and friend, and he manages to fit in being blind. So, so that is, and that kind of says it, right? That you still, so I take it, you still do those things. You you're able to keep your job as a financial advisor with the, the new tools that you learn to use? Well, you know, technically I, I could probably go back to it. I, I actually had, as I said, as an entrepreneur, I was um, part owner of a business, 50% mm-hmm. owner. And I, I just kind of sold out my half ownership of the business. Cause I, you know, I kind of needed some time to get my feet underneath me and figure everything out and, you know, to do right by my clients. I didn't feel like it was right to, 
you know, have them, you know, having me figure out how to navigate things, you know, while dealing right. with their money, you know what I mean? So I sold out my share to my partner and kind of, you know, started exploring some other things, seeing okay. some other interests, you know, like writing the book. Well, um, as, as a former financial advisor, it's, it's a happy day when you can walk away from having to worry about the markets every day. I can, I can that tell. is true. And, you know, luckily I was, I practiced what I preached. So I was in a great financial you know, position to just kind of take a step away and, and be perfectly okay with that. So, you know, luckily I practice what I preach in my, my practice. So for sure. So the book, again, the, the bubonic reorder takes place in Boston now I'll I'll start at the beginning of the description of this. What is why does your description of the book takes place in for the most part it seems like in in present day, and yet there's a connection to the Sicily in the 1300s. What what is that about? Yeah, so it, it kind of has two parts. So the the first part is um, following a family in the 14th century as they are right on the front lines of, of the start of the bubonic plague. Mm. And it's, you know, about their survival and you know, trying to outpace this virus that is just ravaging, you know, the world around them. Mm. And then the other part, as you said, takes, takes place in Boston, ironically, in the year 2020, mm. um, and follows two groups. Um, one, a group of scientists who are, you know, becoming aware of a new uh, virus that is starting to spread and, you know, how do they you know, identify it and contain it. And then the other is about a retired army staff sergeant who his family is kind of being impacted by the outbreak of this virus. And it's about you know, their struggle to survive in kind of the you know, modern world you know, mm. that brings parallels to what was going on in the 14th century. Did, did you always have an interest in the bubonic plague? Because I, I admit, I, I, as I think about it, I know it was really bad and a lot of people died, but I don't know much, much more about it. So you must have really delved, dived into the research on that. Uh, yeah, for this book, yeah, I did, did, a, did a lot of research for it. I'm kind of one of those people who's a, a big post-apocalyptic person. You know, whenever mm-hmm. I'm reading a book, it's, you know, it's always about, you know, zombies or meteor strikes <laughs> or you know, viral outbreaks. You know, those those are what I read for fun. Right. Um, so, so writing in, in this genre was kind of, you know, writing in the thing that I love. So that, that made it kind of easy. Um, so not, not specifically about the bubonic plague, but just viruses and, you know, what and, and and outbreaks and pandemics and, and catastrophes, you know, like what, what happens when, you know, things start to break down and how do people react and how do infrastructure survive or don't survive because of the pressures that are being put on them, you know, really into that as, you know, kind of my pleasure. Reading. Are you, are you a fan of the walking dead series? I, very much so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so all, all the walking dead stuff. Yeah. So I'm not a, a zombie guy per se, but I decided to give the walking dead a try, uh, sometime last year. I don't remember whether it was pre or during pandemic or whatever. And I was hooked and I binged the whole thing and it, which is great. Cause they're like 12 seasons or something like that. But what, what I, what I thought was interesting was you don't have to love the idea of killing zombies in order to love the show. The show is just great storytelling, great characters, and every once in a while, I would kind of notice sort of what the point of the show was, that it's not about zombies. It's about when, when people get kind of stripped down and, and pushed to the edge, where are you going to find inner strength? Like, what is the real core you? So it is, am I, do you think I'm right about that? And if so, no, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it's, about, it's about you and, and how the you changes, like what you think you are versus what you actually are when, when those pressures are put in. Right. You know, I think it's uh, Robert Kirkman who did The Walking Dead. I, th- I think he's said that the title Walking Dead is not about the zombies. It's about the people. Mm, the right. people are the walking dead. Yeah. 
I wonder if he stole that. There's, there's, if you're really into The Walking Dead, there's a, he wrote a couple books too. Do you remember The Governor in the kind of the earlier seasons? No, wasn't. He was the kind of leader of Waterbury and they attack them when they're in the prison. Oh, in the show. Yes. <clears throat> the show. Yes, I do remember. I'm uh, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Robert Kirkman wrote a couple books called uh, Rise of the Governor and Road to the Governor. I forget what the second one was, but it's uh, two books about, you know, that character and, you know, where he started from to, you know, in the behind the scenes of how did he end up to be the person that you see. Oh, yeah. See, now it's coming back to me. Yeah, he was a huge part of the show. He he, yeah. he, he oversaw what's what on the surface seemed to be a, you know, oasis from the from right. zombie land, for lack of a better word. And he turns out to have some evil stuff going on behind the scenes. Yeah, th- that amazing stuff. And yeah, and then there, there's Fear the Walking Dead, and there's it's I, I have to, I am not even caught up on all all my Walking Dead, but yeah, so, there's a couple new series out there. So does, World's End. Okay. <laughs> does that? So do those types of themes run through your book? Yeah, I mean it's it's. It's interesting. So, you know, to, to go back, you know, as I said, I wrote, wrote it or started it in 2014, which came out of two articles that I read. Mm-hmm. And those two articles were one about how uh, scientists determined that 10% of the European population is immune to HIV. And that is because they have a mutated CCR5 protein receptor, which is the um, protein receptor that HIV requires to attach to a host and infect a host. Mm. And they figured out that the first presentation of this mutation was at the end of the 14th century following the bubonic plague and that survivors of the bubonic plague had this mutation and then passed that on to their descendants. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I had never heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really interesting story. And at the same time, I read an article that was talking about modern viral outbreaks. So it was talking to things about like SARS and Ebola and talking about how those are spread differently in the modern age than they did back in the bubonic plague area where, you know, it went from village to village, town to town, and kind of a slow, you know, across the, the known world at that time. But these modern viruses can start halfway around the world and then be on the other half of the world mere hours later as we get on planes or, you know, boats right. or trains. And so you don't spread village to village. You have multiple hotspots that appear simultaneously at the same time. So we had to really rethink, you know, how we identify and contain a modern day viral outbreak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from there, you know, the next five years, I did all this, you know, research of, you know, how these things occur. And it really got into, you know, well, what are the strains that are going to occur on infrastructure, on things like hospital, on, there's a, a lot of talk about food distribution in my book mm-hmm. uh, as well. And what people, you know, what people will do when they think, you know, there's going to be a run on things. You know, whether that be gasoline or food or, or you know, uh, medical care. And, you know, really kind of got into you know, that human aspect, you know, beyond what the virus is doing, but how do we re- react to, you know, something that is out of the norm? So th- that kind of theme, you know, just like as you were saying, The Walking Dead, it's not about the zombies, it's about the people, you know, same sort of thing. You know, there is the virus here, but it's about what are, what are the people doing and what are people who, you know, think they're good people, you know, maybe, you know, kind of do some bad things mm. you know in order for own self-preservation so right and there's a hint here it says the your protagonists have to learn from the lessons of the past is, is that a nod to the the bubonic plague thing the- yeah yeah it, you know in the apex everything kind of comes together and mm. you know there, there's connections through throughout mm. the book so what town did you grow up in aaron 
So I actually grew up in New Jersey and came here to Massachusetts and met my wife in college. She was from Massachusetts and went to Wellesley College. And when we, we met, actually, we both studied in London uh, for our junior year of school. So we met over there, you know, did that kind of long distance thing. Just this is a guess. Did you go to BU? I did not. Oh, I'm sorry. So where did, did you go? You didn't go to Wellesley. No, no, I didn't go to Wellesley. I went to uh, the University of Illinois. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Okay. So, but, but she, she was, she was your inspiration for coming here, I guess. Is what yes. You're yes. Yeah. Okay. She, she very much said, I'm not leaving Massachusetts. So if you want to keep this going, mm-hmm. <laughs> you better move. There you so, go. So uh, I've been here for, uh, you know, 20 plus years now. Tom Cruise's character in Risky Business would have gone to the University of Illinois, if not for a uh, stroke of luck in Princeton. Are you not a fan? Yeah. Sorry, there's a line. No, no, in the, no. Yeah, yeah, no. There's a line in the movie about the University of Illinois. Um, anyway, that's your parentheses for the day, listeners. Hope you enjoyed it. Are there Boston? It sounds like there's a lot of Boston references in the book. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it was interesting. You know, so I originally thought of the idea, as I said, 2014, and so as I was kind of formulate formulating the story and the plot and things that I wanted, uh, one of the early things that came up was, well, I want to have a uh, infectious disease laboratory, which are uh, called a level four bio lab. I wanted that to be in my story. So I went out you know, on the internet researching and said, well, where are all the, the level four bio labs in the United States? And there actually is one right here in Boston in the South End. Mm. So I was like, oh, okay, well, this is great. I, that you know, brings me connection to Boston, which I've spent 20 some odd years on. So I can base some of the, the story there. So it kind of, kind of, came together there as just, this is perfect. I know this town, I can explain things in this. And you know, it was the actually the bio lab being here that kind of drew me into focusing the town mm-hmm. and the story to be here. So it sounds like we've got a few heroes in the book here, and I'm always fascinated by character names. You've got a Dr. Ethan Strong. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's that's just, that's perfect. I can already picture him. You've got the your retired U.S. Army Staff Sergeant, Alex Volk. Does does yeah. that now uh, tell me? Did the characters' names come from like anybody you know, knew, or anything like that? Or no, not the main characters. You know, in in writing, you know, you, you, no name is a throwaway name, mm-hmm. and I don't want to reveal more than that. But that, oh, that every okay. name, there is a reason why those characters are named those characters. Very specific. I do, I do have some nods. You know, there are you know some of my friends' names that I pepper throughout the book. You know, as I yep. kind of search for names. Um, you know, some of some of them get into the book. Some some first names, some last names. It's that. a great way to get your friends to buy the book. They right, have to go exactly. through it, <laughs> right? But yes, I so noticed. I won't. Check, I will check out page one hundred. You'll see your name. It's <laughs> great, but buy the book first and tell your yeah. friends. Um, yeah, you've got your your heroine is named Angela Sindile. Is that Sindile, how you pronounce okay. it? Okay, yep, that's correct. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to have to read the book to figure out what that means because there's something there. I know. There is. Yeah, you, you know, if you. If, the uh, only some of the characters do they reveal, you know, the meaning of their names, but the other one, the other ones do have meanings to their name. You know, so if you, if you Google search, you'd figure it out, but it kind of give away some stuff. All right. I don't want to give it away on the podcast. Please. I want people to buy the book, the, the bubonic reorder. And then it's kind of cool. It's a book and a puzzle all in one, but, t- but tell me fans of what will enjoy this book or really just fans of good storytelling. Well, hopefully good storytelling, the, you know, people who like kind of the disaster genre, you know, as things are kind of collapsing, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you said, those, those people who are into the walking dead and into that human uh, storytelling part of it, you know, I think would like this book, you know, it, it takes place in, in both modern times and 
has some historical. So if you're interested in what's kind of the world like in the 14th century, you know, I did a lot of research on that. So you can you know, kind of get a glimpse into some historical fiction as well. You know, the, the, you know, the book really is, you know, a, a story of how people will react to you know, various pressures and, you know, you know, I, I, what I hope people do is read the book and kind of say, well, what would I do in this situation? How would I, I react? And, you know, the kind of the global, you know, pandemic we just went through with COVID-19, you know, maybe people have had some more thoughts about that as well. The, the other thing I was thinking about this book was, um, it's you know, kind of really interesting. I finished the book, you know, I told you I, I spent you know, three, four, four hours a day, mm. eight months. So I actually finished the book in December, 2019. Wow. Right. And right before. Right. right before. And yeah. I was actually in the middle of my, you know, my own edits of the book, you know, rereading and you know, changing things up when, when COVID-19 hit. Mm -hmm. And it was really kind of a, an interesting time to be watching the news because, you know, I sat there and, you know, you have all these pundits and reporters and scientists who are saying, you know, oh, we never saw this coming. We never expected this. <laughs> we never expected it to happen like this. Mm -hmm. And I sat there and said, well, I just spent five years researching this topic and everything that I read really pointed to exactly this is how it's going to happen really you know exactly this is how yeah. a modern day virus spreads exactly this type of virus you know would come from this part of the you know exactly the you know strains that you see in in infrastructure and hospitals and distribution you know all those things kind of show up in my book and not because i have great predictive powers but mm -hmm. you know because i spent some time reading up on you know what would occur and how things would respond to a global pandemic and, you know, how would a global pandemic start in the first place? So to me, this was very, you know, not a surprising event that had happened and not a surprising event of how it unfolded. So, you know, that, that's really the, the kind of interesting part and in what I hope we get out of, you know, COVID-19 and we learn some lessons, you know, this, I would not be surprised if something like this, you know, were to happen, you know, again, and hopefully we kind of learn some lessons to, you know, not make it as severe as, as this last one was. Well, if that happens, I hope you at least get a second book out of it. But, yeah. but, but that must that must have or been more sales out of this one, right? Or more sales out of this one. That's right. That well, that must have been a surreal experience for you to hear the news emerging as it did. Either that or sort of Kafka esque, almost like you just written this book and it's like, yeah, if you just looked at my book, you would have seen this is what's going to happen. It's amazing. You know, it was a joke. You know, we'd be watching the news as a family, and my kids would turn to me and be like, "You know, Dad, is that in your book?" And I'd be like, "Yep, yeah, that's in my book." Wow. <laughs> you know, it's wow. it just like you know, tearing a little piece of me away every every night I watch. The Unbelievable. News. Uh, my dedication to my children in the book. My next book, I'm going to write where we're all happy and we win the lottery. Yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> there you go. It is called the Bubonic Reorder. Find it on BarnesandNoble.com or Amazon.com. The first novel from Aaron Spelker. We've we're up against the clock. Did I did I leave something out, Aaron? No, I was just gonna say there there's both paperback and ebook versions as well. So depending on your preference. Okay. No audio book yet. No, I, the audio book depends on the, the the amount of sales. So hopefully all of you buy it, and then I can uh, go back to them and say it's right. worthy of an audio book. Come on. The the poor guy wrote the book as he's losing his sight. It would be a crime if we didn't eventually get it in audio book. So let's, let's, buy, let's buy copies of this book. Before we go, we'll play a quick round of good stuff where both Aaron and I will recommend something good for you, the listening audience. First, we're going to take a quick break. We'll see you in about uh, 51 seconds. Be right back. Hi. I'm Jay Ruderman. All Inclusive is a podcast focused on inclusion and social justice. Join me as I interview leaders and experts on the latest news focused on advocacy for social justice. 
In order to make progress that will lead to a more equitable future, honest discussions must be held. That is what All Inclusive is all about. Listen and subscribe to the All Inclusive podcast on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Visit the show website for more information and full episode transcripts at www.allinclusivepodcast.com. And we're back with author Aaron uh, Spelker, who's been a good sport so far. And now we get to hear what he recommends for good stuff. So let's just go into it right now. That's the good stuff. All right. Aaron, we talked about this briefly before we started recording. You got something cool. So what do you have for our listeners? So I actually started a Facebook group that focuses on finding accessible iPhone games that blind people can play, reviewing those games, and then also interviewing game developers about, you know, how did they create an accessible game and what were the challenges in doing that. So really to give, you know, you know blind and visually impaired people, you know, the, the tools to find good games to play. Sure. So what, what, give me an example of how does it work? Is it, I, I take it, these are games that involve a sound, recognizing sounds or quick? Or... Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, clearly there's, you know, just strict audio games. You know, that's one of them, but there are games where your phone, your iPhone has an embedded screen reader. It's called voiceover mm-hmm. and voiceover, uh, you know, a developer can tag different things, uh, you know, in their game for voiceover to recognize and then read back to the player. Mm. So, you know, you know, utilizing that embedded software, the, that embedded feature of voiceover, you, you can make, you know, anything that's on the screen be read back and communicated to, you know, a blind and visually impaired, uh, you know, individual. So, you know, some of them do a great job of it. Some of them, you know, do an okay job on it. So the, the reviews kind of tell you the game, tell you what you're, what you're going to be playing. Is it fun or not fun? And then how well does voiceover make this game accessible for you? So, and... Um... Sorry if you already said this. You've started a, a Facebook group. So how do people find that? Okay, so I'll give you the name. It's, it's funny because I've never created a Facebook page, and it's probably the worst name ever. <laughs> I, I did a lot of keywords. Hmm. So it's called Apple iPhone iOS VoiceOver Compatible Games. Catchy. Yeah, really, really <laughs> rolls, off, <laughs> rolls off the top. <laughs> All right. But we got it. And if you forgot that, we'll put it in the show notes of this episode. You can check that out and find it on Facebook. That's a good one and something I never would have thought existed. And I and good on you for starting that up for folks like you looking to stay yeah. into gaming. Yeah. yeah um, again, in that kind of positive attitude, I just feel like, you know, this this helps me give back to, you know, you know, other people who might be struggling and you know, give them some distraction from, you know, the, that everyday challenge of being blind. Agree. Fantastic. I will recommend, as I usually do, something I just saw on Netflix. So I think this is new to Netflix. It's a documentary. It's called Sophie, a Murder in West Cork. And I'm going to play about 60 seconds of the trailer here so we get a flavor for it. There are a couple of lines in French, but just uh, ignore those. I'll explain it later. Here's here's, uh, the trailer for Sophie. A woman whose body has been found in a remote area in County Cork. The brutal murder of Sophie Tuscan du Plantier has shocked the public. She was a French lady. They were the last person spoke to her, except whoever saw her after me. 
Sophie Duplantier was among the social elite in Paris. For her, West Cork was a place to reflect. Torturée, calme, compète. On a vraiment l'esprit de Sophie. The region's first murder in living memory. We had no experience of serious crime. I was trying to think of neighbors and work out motives. We were afraid there was a murderer among us. La personne qui a fait ça devra assumer cet acte. No witness and no DNA. All we had was circumstantial evidence. On était abasourdi. All right, well, we'll stop there so you get a, a flavor for it. So in 1996, in this very remote area in the town of West Cork, Ireland, right? Yeah, Ireland. Um, a woman who was had a house there. She's a French woman, but she would vacation there in this remote area. She's found just brutally murdered. This is, of course, a documentary. This really happened. And uh, it's a three-episode series on Netflix. Very well done. Um, and kind of has you guessing for a while. And then... A suspect emerges, and even though it's a documentary, I don't want to give it away, so no spoilers, but it's one of those where you hear and you're like, oh, that person? And so it, even though it's, it's a true story, it has twists and turns as if it was, you know, scripted. And so just very good, and I breeze through the three episodes because that's what I do. And um, Sophie, a murder in West Cork. Aaron, will you check that out and report back to me? Or have you already seen? Uh, I have not seen it. My my wife is from her family's from County Cork in Ireland. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, I married a Murphy, so uh, very Irish. So I think we'll we'll be checking that one out. Okay. Also, make sure that your wife's family has alibis because this murder is is, remains unsolved. That's a joke. But but (laughs) but but do do check it out. And uh, once again, it's the bubonic reorder. Is the book by by. Aaron Spelker, and I encourage you to uh, to check it out. I'm going to check it out, and it'll be telling and scary, and I can't wait to figure out why those characters are named what they're named. I wrote it in 2019. That's true. He wrote it in 2019. He is a modern-day Nostradamus, people. So, so, so pick up the book, please uh, support Aaron. And um, Aaron, by the way, stick around after I close the show because I'm going to pump you for more information. But I hope, okay. you, I hope you had a good time on the Boston Podcast. I did. It was wonderful. All right. Thank you, Aaron. Once again, thanks to our sponsor, All Inclusive Podcast with Jay Ruderman. Please check that out anywhere you find your podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. Leave a comment if you're so moved. And on behalf of Aaron, my new buddy, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. Boston, everybody.